if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but join me, if you will, in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Now, this morning, we're continuing on in our sermon series, the Christmas Stories, and I want to begin with a question. The question is this, when was the last time that you held a newborn baby? It's not a two-year-old, not a six-month-old, but a brand new baby. Uh, for some of you, maybe it was a little brother, a little sister. Maybe for others, it was your own child. For some, it was a niece or a nephew. For some, it was a grandchild. But I want you to just put yourself back in that moment when you were holding that minute old or uh, just hours old little tiny baby. Uh, for me, my mind goes back to some of the babies that have been born around our church in recent years, and and just holding some of them, what an honor. Um, even further back uh, a little bit than that, a uh, few years beyond that, uh, holding our children for the first time when they were first born. I think about how overwhelming that is to be able to hold a baby that has just been born, just minutes old. There's nothing quite like it. What a privilege to be able to share in the joy of that moment. Well, the Christmas story uh, comes to us so simply. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 says this, And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so... In the simplest version of the nativity scene, we've got Mary, we've got Joseph, and we've got the baby Jesus in a manger, in a feed box for animals. But as you're looking at this scene of this couple and this little baby, one of the questions that might come to your mind is this, well, who is going to share in their joy? I mean, the birth of a baby is such an exciting time, but who's going to share in the excitement with them? Who's going to get the invitation to come and to join with them? Who's going to get the, be on the invitation list? Who's going to be a part of this celebration? Well, in Luke chapter 2, we read verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the sheep, keeping watch over their flock by night. Because that's what shepherds do. There are wild animals like wolves and lions and bears. There are thieves. Uh, we, we, you you uh, need to keep an eye on these vulnerable sheep so that nothing bad happens to them. So there are shepherds. They are in the fields nearby, minding their own business. And these shepherds are going to make the invitation list. But listen, they are common, ordinary nobodies. Uh, today, as we look at the story of the first Christmas, the day when Jesus was born, we are going to look at the shepherds and the way that they get this news, how they travel to Bethlehem and, be with, and share in the joy with this couple, the, the joy that would impact the whole world. We're going to look at these events here this morning and we're going to ask a couple of questions. First, we're going to ask what are the shepherds doing there at this scene? Secondly, we're going to ask, what is Jesus doing there at this scene? Now, along with these questions, we're going to offer a couple of very short prayers, just a few words long each. And I think that connected with these questions, these prayers can have a radical impact on our lives. 
So this night for the shepherds is uh, about to get really, really interesting. Again, Luke chapter 2 tells us that they're out in the field. They're watching their sheep. Mary and Joseph are over in the town of Bethlehem. Somehow these shepherds are going to eventually come to the manger scene. But how how is that going to happen? How are they going to get there? If you read through the scriptures, you see that a lot of times God will speak to people through dreams. And so sometimes people fall asleep, they have a dream, they wake up, they realize that God has spoken to them through a vision. It seems like it could make sense that God would tell the shepherds about the birth of Jesus through a dream. But that's not how he does it. The shepherds get no dreams. Sometimes in history, God would uh, send a prophet to tell people things. And and so you can just imagine this. There's this older guy in a robe, a long beard, a walking stick. And he wanders into the camp of the shepherds late at night and says, A child has been born to you. Go to Bethlehem and you're going to find him. But that's not how it happens either. There are no, there's no dream, there's no prophet. God says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to get this message to the shepherds. I am going to send a messenger, I am going to send an angel, which can be quite startling if you're not expecting one. Verse 9 says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Friends, these shepherds are not sitting there singing, Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. No, they are freaked out. They are terrified that this angel shows up. Here's the problem. When we think about the shepherds being visited by this angel, we picture kids being dressed up in bathrobes for a Christmas play. Or we picture these winged creatures hovering over the stable with this peaceful, worshipful scene going on down below. And I think that that so often we can lose the, the horror of what's actually going on in this moment. What's going on here in this moment is what happens in a movie when there is a jump scene. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you're sitting at one, in one of these comfy seats in a movie theater. It's before the movie starts. They're running through these trailers for other movies that are going to come in the future. And so there is this thriller movie trailer that comes on and it says something like this. An ordinary family moves into a quaint little house in a quaint little town. Why is this lovely house been vacant for so many years? And then comes the moment in the trailer where the woman is washing her face in the sink at night. She looks up in the mirror. She looks back down into the sink again. And then she looks back up in the mirror and she sees in the mirror a man who is standing right behind her and staring at her. It's the neighbor from next door. She jumps, you jump, and that's just the trailer. Of course, there is music that is being played in the background that helps. And, and yet some, something is happening that you did not expect, that you did not see coming. You are terrified and you jump. Well, these shepherds jump, their hearts are pounding, and and there is something that is in front of them that they had never expected, that did not belong. They are freaking out. Now, 
This angel says something that angels often say to people who are freaked out, who are afraid because they have just shown up. Verse 10 says, and the angel said to them, fear not. Fear not because I'm not chasing you. Fear not because I'm not trying to kill you. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This city of David, it was a village that hundreds of years earlier, uh, one of the kings, Israel's great kings, David, had been born there. And so they, they called this the city of David. I want you to just kind of notice, though, here, there are three things that Jesus is called. First of all, he is the Savior, then the Christ, the Messiah, and finally, the Lord. This baby is described in three ways. He is the Savior, the Rescuer. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Rescuer. A Rescuer has come. The second word Christ, or Messiah, same word, it means that he is the one with the anointing. Years before, what would happen is that a new king would come in, and often what would, what would, uh, there would be this thing that would, the, the, the priest would take some oil, pour it down over the top of this future king's head, and it would kind of drip down over him. And this was the anointing. And the person who was who had the anointing was the Messiah, the chosen one. Messiah means the one with the anointing. And so this angel talks to these shepherds who are scared to death and says, Listen, a rescuer has been born to you. He is the long-awaited anointed one. And then it says, He is the Lord. The word Lord means master. The rescuer... The chosen one, the master, has been born. Now what's interesting here is that this moves from information to invitation. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This is not the angel saying, hey, by the way, just wanted to let you know that in the next village over, there is a baby that's been born. No, no. He says, you are going to find this baby. The idea is that they are supposed to travel, that they're supposed to find this baby, that they're supposed to see this with their own eyes. This is moving from information. It's not just information. It is invitation as well. This is an invitation that they've received. How are they supposed to know that what, which baby this is? Well, He's going to be wrapped up in blankets and lying in an animal feed box. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, probably what you would expect would happen next is that this angel would just kind of fade into the background of the night sky and just kind of disappear. And the shepherds would run to Bethlehem and check this thing out. But Something else happens before this angel leaves, and it happens suddenly. There is this angel army in front of them. That's not what it's called, but in verse 13, here's what we read. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. A multitude is a military term. 
And so you can just kind of picture these uh, Roman legions. And I wonder if they were in military formation. But this huge group of angels shows up and it says that they were praising God and saying I imagine them saying this in unison. They're they're chanting this or something and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The idea is glory in heaven, peace on earth. Glory to God in heaven and peace to who to those who will come to know Jesus as the savior the Christ and the lord peace among those who with whom he is pleased peace in the lives of those who come to know this Jesus as the rescuer the chosen one and the master I I just like that and just like that you know just in that moment they say these things and Like that, they're gone. Now, these shepherds, they run to Bethlehem. And in verse 15, it says, When the shepherds went away from them into heaven, or the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I just wonder if they started searching around in every barn, every shed, every house that had cattle in it, every cave. Their mission is pretty simple because I imagine that there's probably only one baby who is in a feed box in Bethlehem. There's only one baby in a manger and all of a sudden they, one of them starts yelling and says, Hey, I found them, I found them, I found them. This rugged look, these rugged-looking shepherds come running into this smelly barn. This couple, Mary and Joseph, are there, and there is this feed box, and baby Jesus is in it. Beginning in verse 17, it says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been, made, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I want you to just imagine these shepherds at this manger scene. And we have a, a picture, uh, an artist's rendition that we're going to put up on the screen. But this is a painting from the 1700s by a German painter named Christian Dietrich. And Dietrich's painting is called Adoration of the Shepherds. But, but what I love about this is that it looks like an old barn where cattle lived. A barn that was well used. I, I can almost smell the smells of the barn. The shepherds look like actual shepherds. I mean, they even have a dog there here in this picture. And, and I love the way that Dietrich kind of captures the shepherds coming to visit Jesus here in this moment. As I look at the shepherds there in this moment, I, I just have to ask this question. Well, what are they doing there? I mean, how in the world did they get the invitation to this event? You realize what's happening here, right? I mean, the Bible explains to us that Jesus is God come to earth in human form, that he is to be called Emmanuel, God with us. 
He's not distant. He's not far off. He's not from another planet or he's not in another galaxy. He is God with us. This is the arrival of the creator in bodily form to the planet that he has created. And who gets invited to this phenomenal event? Well, these guys, the shepherds, common, ordinary people. If this were written today, I wonder if it might have said something like this. And nearby, there were truck drivers gassing up their rigs at a truck stop at 2 o'clock in the morning. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. I mean, these were normal, everyday people. And nobody, uh, and, and nearby there were uh, community college students ex- exiting their night classes, getting on the bus, heading home. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And nearby, Portillo's was shutting down for the night. The assistant manager was locking the door as he left the building with the line cooks and the cashiers. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Listen, these are common, ordinary people. And I don't want this to get lost on us. That God, when he visits, visits the planet, some of the first people that get the invitation are just ordinary, everyday, regular people. They were shepherds. They were doing what shepherds do, spending the night watching their sheep. And the Lord says to them, you got to see this. You're invited. What are they doing there? Well, I think that one of the big reasons why they are there in this moment is because this sets the stage for Jesus' entire ministry. I mean, I think about the time when Jesus had grown up and had begun his public ministry. There's this group of moms and they bring their kids to Jesus. And Jesus had a lot of demands on his time. I mean, people wanted healing. People came to him and they wanted their theological questions answered. Some people just wanted to have an argument with him. He had lots of demands on his time. These moms are bringing their children and They want Jesus to lay his hands upon them and to bless them. But the disciples, they're time management experts, and they say, hey, you know what? These kids got to get out of here. Jesus doesn't have time for this. And Jesus, in these powerfully famous words, says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such is the kingdom of God. He takes time for them. He puts his hands on these little children and he blesses them. He prays God's blessing over their lives. The kids make the invitation list. Moms of preschoolers make the invitation list. Jesus has been born as a little baby. Mary and Joseph are there. Who's going to get recruited, though, to share in their joy? Well, the shepherds are invited to come, which I think sets the stage for the rest of his public ministry here on this earth. That Jesus had time for little children. He had time for people like the Samaritan woman at the well. He had time for the ten lepers who were the outcasts of society. Jesus had time for the down-and-outers, but he also had time for the up-and-outers. Luke or John chapter 3 tells us about this religious leader, one of the most important people in the entire country, a guy by the name of Nicodemus. This guy comes to Jesus at night and they have this nighttime conversation. Jesus looks at this man and he uh, foc- and he has focused this man is focused. 
his entire life on religious rule keeping. And Jesus says to him, listen, you need to be reborn. You know what? Life is not just about keeping a bunch of rules. No, it's about experiencing a new birth. You need to be born again. Jesus not only had time for the woman at the well who had burned through five marriages, but he also had time for religious, this religious man who was trying to keep all of the rules, the down and outers, but the up and outers as well. And in, Luke, and in John chapter 3, uh, just a few verses after this story of, uh, of Nicodemus, we find one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, which says, it's John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The invitation is for everyone. It's not just for a select group of people. No, everyone is invited. Your name is on the invitation list. In fact, it's not just that Jesus invites you over, but he invites himself over. Toward the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, we have this verse where Jesus, um, he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The idea here is not just that Jesus is waiting for you to to come and knock on his door, but he is standing outside of your door and he is knocking and he is calling out to you. He wants you uh, to be with him. He wants to be with you. He, He wants to come in and eat with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to change your life. And so I said we would ask two questions. The first What were the shepherds doing there? And then two short prayers that could radically impact our lives. The first prayer is this. Come on in. Come on in. Jesus says, I'm outside. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. I'm calling out to you. If the door, if you open the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with you and I'll be with you. It is about friendship. It is about fellowship. It is about a whole new way of life. And sometimes the mistake that we make is that we want to clean the room up first before we open the door and invite Jesus in. Because we don't want to invite him into the mess. But folks, that is a huge mistake. Instead, we need to fling the door wide open and to say, Jesus, here is the mess and it is awful, but there's nothing that I can do about this. I can't clean this up on my own. I need you. Invite him. Come on in. This is a powerful prayer. It can change your life today. And it's just simply this. Come on in. Jesus, come on in. You see, your name is on the invitation list. It's not only that he is waiting for you to come into his presence, but he is showing up at your house and he is knocking on your door. He wants to be invited into your life and he wants you uh, to be involved in his. So what in the world are the shepherds doing here in this moment? Well, they are common, they are ordinary, they're nobodies. I think the, the presence of the shepherds here in this moment at the birth of Jesus sets the stage for the rest of Jesus' ministry, who he will invite. But 
here's the second question. The second question is this. Well, what is Jesus doing there? And I'm not talking about what is Jesus doing here on this planet in human form, but uh, of all the ways that he could have arrived on the scene of human history, what is he doing wrapped up in a blanket, laying in the feed box for an animal? I mean, if you think about it, this is one of the most countercultural events and statements that has ever happened in the history of the world. Just take the first century for an example. A world that was dominated by Roman thought. Your life was centered around status and honor. You would chart your whole course of existence in order to elevate your status, in order to elevate your honor. And the message that Jesus offers here is it's so contrary to the prevailing thought of the day of the Roman world. I mean... You think of all of these ideas of honor and status, and it goes, first of all, all the way back to who your parents are, who your grandparents are, and it went back to before you were even born. Secondly, it went back to where you were born, where you were raised. If you were raised in a small, little, out-of-the-way village in an insignificant part of the world, I mean, that didn't really mean too much. That didn't really go too far for your status. But if you were married, or if you were raised, rather, in a major city in the Roman Empire, well, that added to your status. Thirdly, it was your wealth. I mean, how many acres of land did you have? How how many cattle did you own? How many people did you have working for you? And so to kind of figure out your status and your honor, you would kind of look at your family, you would look at your parents and your grandparents, what city you were raised in, the the kind of wealth that you had. You would calculate all of that uh, up to this point in your life. And and in order to uh, gain status, you would only be involved in things that would raise your status. And so you would only marry someone who could elevate your status. You would select friends and receive dinner invitations only from people who could elevate your status. If you were going to give away a large sum of money, you would only do it in a way that would elevate your status. This is the world that Jesus enters into. He's born to a poor peasant couple in a barn in the backwoods of Bethlehem. His crib is a feed box for animals. The people who get invited to celebrate in this joyous occasion are some shepherds. He is raised in the town of Nazareth, which is not a town of distinction at all. Everything about the way that Jesus came was countercultural to the Roman way of thinking in that day. The Apostle Paul wrote to a group of people in a church in the Roman colony of Philippi in order to remind them of the power of being a humble servant. Here's what we read about Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Uh, Paul is writing writing this to Christians in a Roman colony because he wants them to think about what it means to follow a Christ who would lower his status, who would become a servant as an example to them to follow. In fact, Jesus would say that being a servant is the pathway 
to greatness. There's an occasion where his disciples are having this argument about who the greatest was. And Jesus basically says, listen, it's a good thing to desire greatness. I want you to become great. But the one who will become the greatest among you is the one who will be the servant of all. Jesus equated greatness with servanthood. Mark chapter 10 and verse 43. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. What are the shepherds doing here in this moment? Well, I think that it sets the stage for the rest of Jesus' public ministry. Who he invites to be a part of his forever family. What is Jesus doing here? Emmanuel, God with us in a feed box for animals. I think that the way that Jesus enters the world also sets the stage for what he would teach about seeking status, what he would teach about seeking greatness. I mentioned that there were two prayers that we would talk about that could radically change and impact our lives. The first one, come on in, come on in. The second prayer is just two words, send me, send me. It's offering your hands for acts of service to people around you. It's being great as God defines greatness. God, send me, I'm available, send me. Think about Jesus when he was in the upper room. You know, his disciples, they're all there. They're celebrating the Last Supper together. After this meal, they'll leave the room. They'll walk down through the narrow winding streets of Jerusalem, down into this small ravine outside of the city walls, uh, back up the other side to the garden grove of uh, the Olive Garden, where Jesus is going to be arrested there. He is going to be put on trial. He is going to be crucified the next day. It is just hours away from his death. What is he going to tell his disciples? What is he going to remind them of? Some of you know the story, John chapter 13. Jesus is there. He gets a basin of water. He gets a towel and he goes around washing each of his disciples' feet. He gets to Peter and Peter kind of puts up a little bit of a fight here. And he says, no, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to be part of me. And so Peter says, well, then uh, don't just wash my feet, but wash my whole body. But after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, he, he said this, John 13 and verse 15. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus, the humble servant. The foot washing Lord desires to leave behind a community of foot washing followers, people who aren't always seeking after status in this life and in this world, but who humble themselves in order to humbly, gently, and consistently serve. Prayer number two send me. Send me. It's a great prayer that you could pray as you wake up in the morning. God, open my eyes, open my ears to the people around me, to the needs around me, so that I can be a blessing and have an eternal gospel impact. Lord, send me. 
as you reflect on these two prayers, I trust that they will radically impact your life today and in the weeks and months to come. Lord, come on in and send me. If we go back to Dietrich's picture for one last time here, I think that when we say, come on in, we are identifying with the shepherds who responded to that first invitation. They made the invitation list, and not only did they make the list, but they showed up. In the prayer, come on in, we identify with the shepherds. In the prayer, send me, I think we identify with the Christ whose birth we celebrate in this season. He he made himself nothing, and he said to God the Father, send me, send me, send me as a servant. Let's pray.